Welcome to the C3 Church Coffs Harbour podcast. We're glad you're here. We pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. A while to remember where everything is now. I'm usually like, oh yeah, that was on page seven, this was on whatever. Now I'm like, what group did I put it in? But it's like, it's up the top in church, just so you know. <laughs> so um, Luke chapter 15, I'm reading out of the NLT today because I felt like, um, actually, I, I really love, I used to preach out of the NLT uh, when I was doing youth. Um, and so I don't want you to take offense to that, but um, I just find it a really, it just explains things so well. Sometimes I usually read out of the ESV and I study out of the ESV and when I can't get something, I'm like, I don't get what it's saying. I go to the NLT and I'm like, oh, there you go. That's, that's very clear. And so um, I'm reading out of the NLT today because I love the words it uses. And um, today uh, we'll be talking about the prodigal son, which is uh, a pretty common story we've probably all heard and uh if you're into titles um i thought i'd just throw in a title just in case some people learn by titles i don't necessarily you know it's not a formula that i use um but i know some people learn differently and they like to refer back to things it's how they remember certain messages so the title of this message is called closing the gap and uh It'll probably take um, about 20 minutes into my message before you actually realize why it's called that. It's sort of at the end of the message, but uh, just write that down, closing the gap. And um, Luke chapter 15, I'm going to start with verse 1 through to verse 3, and then I'm just going to skip to verse 11. So just so you're following me. So starting at verse 1 um, is actually the start of the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach tax collectors and other notorious sinners. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I don't know if if you read the Bible, but... Don't you just want to punch the Pharisees in the face? Like, I just feel like it's it's the kind of people that you'd like, just stop. He's so silly, but we can be silly sometimes. I feel like Christians can be silly. We can have this kind of spirit on us sometimes. It's so funny. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And so Jesus told them this story. Jesus is trying to put them in their place. And so he goes through a couple of parables here. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, The second one is the parable of the lost coin. So he goes through two parables and then he um, and then he goes on to the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal prodigal son. And um, just so you know that parables, they're they're sort of stories, they're a bit of a mystery, but what they are, they're, they're a truth about the kingdom of heaven, how God operates and how the kingdom of heaven operates. And so what I love about parables is that so often we try and figure out who God is and, and we go to the Gospels and we look at Jesus and, and I would totally agree with that and totally encourage you to do that. But so often we skip over story time because we think parables are just cool stories. And, and But the thing is about a parable is that it's a truth about God and how his kingdom operates. And so some of the most unbelievable and beautiful, beautiful truths about God is hidden or revealed, however you look at it, 
in these parables, in these stories. And so I would encourage you to read more parables. I preach a lot out of parables when I, when I speak because I just love how it reveals the truth about God. And so the third parable that he talks about to illustrate the point where the Pharisees had issues with the sinners is, he says, to illustrate the point further. So he's already spoken about two parables. He says, to illustrate it further, Jesus told them this story. So right now we're in verse um, 11. It said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings now having the wealth that his father had given him, and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. What I want you to realize about these parables is when I say that they're truths about God, the characters in these parables are revealing... There's always, there's always a character who represents God. Okay, In this instance, before I read any further, God is the father okay and we could say that you and I or the people who are lost would be represented as the son so that's very important so as we keep reading we don't forget that this is not a story that's nice to read the kids at bedtime this is actually a truth about God so every time it says the father we're actually realizing that this is God okay and this is Jesus talking about this so if we're going to believe anyone about this parable then it's coming from his mouth so When he finally came to his senses, being the son, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we have been fattening, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life." He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. And that's where I'm going to stop this one. It goes on to um, how the other son um, reacted to this. Um, But for now, what I want to talk about this morning, we're just going to stop it right there. And uh, I just want to bring our attention back to verse 12. And it says, The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. The crazy thing about God is that he actually allows us to choose our own path. 
And although he knows the outcome, his love compels him to give us free will. It's one of the most generous acts that you'll see God perform is the gift of giving free will. Why? Because it's not that he just he doesn't even respect something in return. It's the fact that he gives something knowing that we might take advantage of the free will and the freedom that we've given and by our choices, by why we take advantage of that, actually leads to destruction. And he knows the outcome. And so he's giving a gift knowing the outcome that it may possibly lead to a destruction. And he doesn't expect anything in return because the definition, true definition of love is that there has to be freedom. If there's no freedom in love, it's a prison. It's controlling. And God doesn't operate like that. It's funny because I was at the skate park yesterday with my son Zion, and I got talking to a family that I know there who just brought their two-and-a-half-year-old son to the skate park for the first time, and he was on his little scooter. And he apparently he's been watching skate videos at home, um, and on the iPad, I assume, I don't think, you don't, you, you don't put a, a VHS in the thing anymore and watch with punk music on. It doesn't happen like that anymore. Um, and I think he's, he's been watching YouTube videos and they said at two and a half years old, he's been getting his little skateboard, tiny, and he's been putting it on the edge of the couch and trying to drop in off the couch. <laughs> and so they took him yesterday to the skate park for this first time and I was talking to the mum and she said, oh, this is his first time here. Um, she goes, I don't know what to do. Like, do I? And then as she said that, we looked up and he's got his scooter and he's at the top of the little ramp and he's looking down. He's so little. He's like, it looks like he can barely walk. And he's, he's at the top and then he's so far away. And she goes, do I just let him go? And I said, well, it depends what kind of parent you are. And, and she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well... Here's what I did with Zion. I could either live, I could either be a parent out of fear and control everything that he does because I want to control the outcome, or I could let him choose because I said, it doesn't look like you forced him up there. It looks like he's made his own choice at two and a half years old that he wants to be at the top of the ramp right now. And so I would actually let him choose to go down the ramp and be okay with a broken bone because too many parents will not let their children grow because they don't want to take a trip to the hospital. But the child has to know what's wrong or right. The only way they do that is by making their own decisions, by their own choices. And I'm not a parent expert. I just know that from experience. Every time I would hold Zion, he's not going to learn. Every time I would release him, he learns. And God does the same thing with us. He knows that the outcome might be devastating. He knows that we might be taking a trip to the hospital. He, might, he knows that we might be getting into things that we shouldn't be getting into. But for us to have our own revelation of who the Father is, we have to actually make our own decisions. And so he gives us free will. And sometimes we enjoy that. Sometimes we, sometimes we take advantage of that. But the fact is he is so loving that he wants you to choose. And um, the funny thing about this story, this parable, is that there's many people here that might be saying, 
you know what? Well, I haven't run away from God. I, ha- I haven't run away from my faith. I'm still in church today. And so this story really isn't that relevant to me because I, I'm here. I'm here in church today. I made an effort. I, I haven't denounced my faith. But I would argue that this story would be relevant to you in at least two ways. And, and I encourage you to really listen in because if it's not relevant for you, it might be relevant to someone you know. And the first reason is because this will challenge and change the way your view of how God sees people. And in turn, when we're meant to be Christ-like, it actually affects the way we should see people. And so even though this story might not be relevant in your journey and how far away you are from God, maybe there's, I'm not even going to say maybe, there is people in your life that need Jesus and it's our job to have a better understanding of how God views them so that we can approach their journey with the same love and compassion that Jesus has for them. Because Jesus is not the type of God that just sits on a throne and points the finger. That's not who he is. He's a job, he's a God that he comes down and as the scripture says, he is filled with love and compassion. And the second um, reason I think that this is relevant to us is that we've just come off the back of a really great series called How to Unhurry. And in this series, we have discovered that you know, there might be certain things in our life, these temporary pleasures that we start leaning towards. And um, that might be things like wasting our money, wasting our time, wasting our resources, wasting our energy on things that in the end don't really matter. And the, the actual word prodigal means to use your money and your resources wastefully. And so I would encourage you, maybe you're not running away from God or you haven't run away from God and the distance in your relationship isn't that large, but just maybe think about your life. Maybe there's small little steps and decisions that you've made over time that are actually increasing that distance and you're not even aware of it. It's so slow over time that you've, you might not be doing drugs, but the drug has become the phone. And so you've forgotten that when you go to actually read your Bible on these now, you flick through Instagram. And I'm not judging anyone because it's become a big part of my life. I can justify it by that's where I work and that's where my job is. But the thing is, I get distracted. I'm like, Bible app, can't find it. Instagram, I know where that is because I'm on there all the time. And so there's these little decisions that start creating a distance between our relationship with God. And, and you'll start to see why the, the um, title of this message is called Closing the Gap. So I just want you to think about those two things. If you haven't run away from God, this is still very relevant for you. I want to shed some light on God's character today. I want it to, you know, maybe, it's going, maybe it surprised you. God's not the angry judge who points his finger just like I said, I want this to change the way you think. So verse 22 to 24, I want to read the three things that his um, father gave him. Okay. I might, um, how much time have I got? Just quickly. Okay, cool. I want to read the three gifts that he gives the son. Because in a parable, there's a lot of things in these that are when they're revealing the truths about God that are very significant that we can't overlook. So he actually gives the son a few things when he returns home. He says, number one is the robe, but I'll read the whole thing. 
First he says, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and, and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. So there's a robe, there's a ring, there's sandals, and there is a feast. And that's what I quickly want to point out right now because these have so much significance. Now with the robe, the, the son, you've got to realize he was away and, and the life that he was living and the job that he was in, he was filthy. And he was starving. It said the famine swept the land and he, he had nothing to eat. No one would give him anything. So there he stood, you know, drenched in, in mud and stench from the pigs and filthy and probably torn garments and possibly no shoes and pretty rough and pretty ragged. And then the father says, bring the finest robe. Now, I was going to do visual illustrations I thought it'd be like quite creative and clever, but I realized that it's super important to note that when the father or when the finest robe was brought out, it never went over old clothes. It wasn't that he brought him and just chucked the robe over him, and you can see why if the father had to remove the old clothes, that's why I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do a visual representation. I was like, I didn't want to get Cam up here and take his clothes off, and it was just going to be a mess for everyone. <laughs> I know. Thank you. I'm glad someone appreciates that. So, the thing about God is that when He brings out the finest robe, He removes the things that are dirty. He removes the things that are unclean, so that He can put the finest robe on. He doesn't want the the finest linen to touch the ratty and rugged and rough dirt of what he's been through. And so Isaiah 64, 6 says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. All of us. Doesn't matter how good you are. We've just heard it this morning. Doesn't matter how good your deeds are. It says all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And it's like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how much you give, it doesn't matter how much you attend a church, it doesn't what you give to charity, it doesn't matter how much you help elderly people cross the road, it doesn't matter how good a person you are. The fact is, is that to God, all of our righteous deeds are actually like a filthy garment. And then it says in um, Isaiah 61.10, For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. See, no longer does a priest cover your sins anymore. See, back in the Old Testament, there would be a covering. But no longer does the priest cover your sins. Instead, Jesus removes the sin. He removes the shame. He removes the old self and prepares a fine robe for you, which is a robe of righteousness. And then he puts that one on. He puts a new self on. And so... The robe of righteousness, if you don't know what righteousness means, if it's too much of a, you know, like the Christian cliche jargon, that's fine. What it means is you have right standing with God. You are now right with God. You are good with God. Before you were unclean and he couldn't accept you because he is perfect and holy and anything in his presence can't exist that's unholy. And so he makes you right, not by what you've done, but by who he is and what he has done. And so in this context, what he's doing, remember, he's preparing a feast. So what God is doing, he's clothing you with the clothes that are suitable to sit with him at his table. 
He puts on a new self. He puts on a new person. Not He doesn't change you and he doesn't change your personality. He takes away the sin. He takes away the shame and he puts on righteousness so that you are now worthy. Remember the son said, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And then Jesus responds by clothing him with righteousness to show him you are worthy to sit at my table. The ring... I'll just quickly go through these couple. When a father would give a a son a ring or a king would give a promotion, often they would give a ring to to show honour, to show position. Often it was a sign of wealth as well. Um, So you'd always see it in the royals, things like that. And so the sign of the ring, it was also a sign of delegation of power and authority. And... um, the father in this case, God, is restoring the son's identity. He's showing him that he is worthy not just to be a slave back in the house, but to be a son in the royal family. He's showing that I have now given you the power and authority that I have. The scriptures say that we now have power and authority to trample on serpents and snakes, scorpions. We now have the power and authority that God has given us to overcome demons and cure diseases very fitting for what we're talking about this morning this is scripture saying that we have now and so what he's doing is he's giving him a ring as a sign to say you are now my son you are now have position you now have authority to live under me the sandals this is about protection this is about every place the sole of your feet tread is land that God has given you and what a beautiful picture of the father equipping us to walk the journey with him It's such a beautiful picture of God preparing our feet to go into all the world, as Pastor Justin said, to preach the good news. He protects us and he walks with us. And the last one of this I want to focus on is the feast. It says in verse 14, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. That's, that part there is super important. He became so hungry, but no one gave him anything. You see, the father granted his wants, but the son soon realizes that nobody could actually fulfill his needs. The feast is not just an expression of joy and celebration. It's also an expression where God is showing us that he's the only one who can fulfill our needs. He is the bread of life. And although the world and all its temporary pleasures might satisfy us for a moment or entice us, it will never sustain us. And what a beautiful picture of the feast where God is preparing us to sit at his table And to show us that the very thing that drove the son back was his hunger, was the very thing that Jesus provided him. And and when it said that nobody was able to feed him, Jesus said, I will be the one that will feed you. And I will feed you the best. Now, what I do want to finish on with is this point. And this is where closing the gap really comes, um, really makes its point. And I I hope that has kind of set up... uh, 
a kind of picture of God, how he sees people, how he sees people who are lost far from him. Because as I said, maybe you're not running from God, but maybe you know someone who is. And maybe this changes the, the way that you think about people and the way that you think God thinks about people. Because this is not necessarily just, this is not how you preach. Some people think, oh, I need to bring that person to church, man, and I, and I need to get them under the word and I need the, the preacher to preach to them. But this is a, you know, and even the stage now has been raised a little, so I'm a lot higher than you. But the thing is, is that often we can get down here and preaching to people is just getting onto their level. And sometimes when we invite people to church and they say, I don't want to come, we can just say, is there a reason that you, d- you don't want to come? Is there, is there something that's blocking you? And because so often we, we come from the point of the view that we think God is judging them when they have to be at church or they won't get saved. But when we get down to the level and they realize that there's actually perceptions that are blocking them, we can say, well, let me tell you, because God's not like that. And they might actually come to church if they knew that God wasn't who they thought God was. And they might actually come to church because you actually got down to the level and said to them, hey, I know a God in scripture who actually doesn't judge you like you think he judges you he actually came to you he's actually not the one pointing the finger he actually came off the throne and so the reason I want to tell you that is because as I said you might not be the person running but you are the person who has the ability to share the good news in the spirit it was meant to be delivered Verse 20, and I'm finishing on this, says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. What I want to make note of here is it says, While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Like a long way. I don't don't think like the end of the room. I think... The way I visualize this story is this house was on a big property and there was nothing that was obstructing the view. And as far as you could see in the distance was just a small dot of a son who was coming over the hill. And it was from a long way off that he saw the son returning. See, often we think we've got so far to go in our Christianity we compare our Christianity to other people who we think have got it all together. And we kind of think, why would God use me when there's pastors and there's missionaries, there's people who are signed up to Bible college, there's people that are doing such good work. Why would he accept me? Why would he use me? And sometimes what's even worse is that we can judge others because we think they've got so far to go. Recently, we had a very famous musician by the name of Kanye West who declared his faith in Jesus. He, to the point where he produced an album with the title Jesus is King that went across the globe. And one of the saddest things that I saw were Christians and people judging how far he had to go to prove that he was worthy of being called a Christian. Because in Kanye's past, in the way he grew up, he still had certain traits and things that he didn't understand. 
But what he knew is that was Jesus is king. What he knew is that he confessed his sins and made a decision to follow Jesus. He was still messed up. He would even swear in interviews, the same interviews that he would declare the name of Jesus. And there was Christians just attacking him, saying, we'll see. We'll see how far he could come. We'll see if this is real. We'll see if this is actually the truth. He wasn't fully there, but he made a decision. And so many people were too busy judging the distance that he had to go that they weren't able to celebrate the decision that he had made. And I just don't... I just don't want to live a Christianity that assumes the position of God. Because that's, that's God's job. And it's very easy to pull someone down who's in a high profile. But I wonder if that was your brother or your sister or your mum or your dad, if you do the same thing. See, God doesn't judge the distance. He celebrates the decision. So much so that if you, t- if you make a decision to turn back to Him, it doesn't matter how long the journey takes. It doesn't matter how long it takes for you to get off the drugs. It doesn't matter how long it takes for you to stop swearing or act the part or dress the part or talk the way other Christians talk. It doesn't matter how long because God doesn't expect you to know how to close the gap. Because when he sees you a long way off, he knows that you've made a decision. And so he has come down through the form of Jesus to close the gap for you. So you no longer have to figure out in your head, how am I going to do this? I've made a decision, but I feel like there's judgment. I feel like I've got to get my life together. He does not expect you to, on your way home, get new clothes. He doesn't expect you to clean yourself up. He doesn't expect you to find a trough or a dam to dip yourself in and wash yourself clean before you rock up to his doorstep. He runs to you. And maybe this is not a message for you, but he runs to your sister. He runs to your brother. He runs to your family member or your work colleague or your friend or your neighbor, the person who needs him the most. I'm telling you, this is the gospel that we should be sharing with our friends is that you don't have to clean your life up. You don't have to figure that out because when Jesus closes the gap and comes to you, He walks back to the house with you. He dresses you in sandals. He puts the robe on you and He walks you back to the house. And on that journey with Him is where we discover how to live for Him. You don't discover how to live for Jesus on the journey back to the house. He meets you where you're at and then you discover how to live for him. Jesus is the one that closes the gap. You don't have to worry about that part of things. When you're preaching to your friends, if you don't like the word preach, when you're talking with your friends about God, sharing your faith... Can you remember this parable? Can you remember the heart of God and who He is? And maybe if it's not you, but maybe as we were speaking before, maybe you were living in that realm of rush and distraction 
and just over time little small decisions were causing you to create a distance between you and God. Can I tell you the same heart that God has for the lost, he has for the people that don't even know they're walking away from him. He has the same heart for the people who find this is a distraction as he, do, he, as he does for the people who have run away for 15, 20, 30 years. Because anything that gets in the way of a relationship between you and them and him, he wants to run towards. He wants to close the gap. Whatever the distraction is, whatever the reason is, he wants to meet you where you are and he wants you to come on the journey with him. Can I have every eye closed, every head bowed? I want to finish with this thought. There's there's going to be people in this room that you know you're either very far away from God right now or you know there's behaviors, patterns, distractions in your world that are starting to increase the distance in your relationship. And I want to start by saying that God doesn't judge how far away you are from him. He's waiting for you to turn to him. It's just a decision away. And then what he's going to be doing is he's, as soon as you make that decision, he's going to run to you filled with love and compassion. This is not my thought. This is scripture. This is Jesus telling you how God operates. He's going to run to you with love and compassion. And when he meets you there, His desire is not to leave you in your current state. He removes your sin and shame. He clothes you with righteousness. He gives you power and authority. And he equips you to walk the journey with him. And last but not least, he celebrates with you. And I wonder if the question is, is it time that you turn away from that old life and allow God to clothe you with a new life? So if there's anyone right here, and you're in that category where you need to return back to God. I want you to know that you don't have to figure it out. All you have to do is just make a decision. Say, God, that's me. I just, I need to be home because only you have the bread that will sustain me. Only you can nourish my soul. Only you can fulfill my need. If that's you right now, I'd love to lift your hand. No one's looking around. And I'd love to pray with you. Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, see that hand. I just want this to be a weight lifted off so many people's shoulders that are struggling with the thought of coming back to God. And I am sorry if there's anyone, myself maybe included, that's ever made you feel like you would be judged for making that decision. But I just want you to know from the depths of my heart 
in the depths of God's heart and the spirit of this church that you're welcome that we want you here and we want God's best for you and scripture says that God's best for you starts with a decision it starts with you just acknowledging God I need you and I just feel like there's one more person in this room and I'm not going to drag it out but I just feel like there's one person who's struggling with this decision Thank you. Awesome. See both those hands. You guys are incredible. God, I'm just thankful, so thankful for you right now. I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for the way that you reveal yourself to us in Scripture. I thank you that you're a God that comes to us and we don't have to fight ourselves up the ladder to heaven to try and find our way to you. God, you knew that we couldn't find ourselves. We couldn't find our way to you, so you made your way to us. I'm so thankful. And I'm so thankful for every single person that made this decision today to turn back to you. The author and perfecter of our faith, the one who sustains us, the one who heals us, the one who walks with us. And I'm so thankful for the truth that you don't require us to get right before we come to you. You just want us to come to you as we are in our messed up state and I'm so thankful that you're such a gracious God that you would run to us and you would meet our need and I thank you God today that you have met the needs of so many people that have raised their hands this morning right now I just ask for these people that you would help them tomorrow I would help, you would help them this week. You would surround them with people that would help them on this journey. Lord, you would provide community. You would speak to their hearts. You would give them revelation so that you would seal the promise inside of them this week that they no longer need to run away because there is a God that's waiting for them. And just ask that you bless them abundantly, God, with every blessing from heaven. Open their minds and hearts to see you in a new way. Lord, reveal your love even more than they feel right now. Lord, a peace that surpasses all understanding would flow over their bodies, into their household, into their families. So that would know that they would know that they would know that you are the one true God who loved them abundantly. Thank you, Jesus.
what I would really love right now is we're closing and so you guys can look up. What I want to do is what heaven is doing right now. And that's celebrating for about five or six or seven decisions that were just made to turn to God. So right now, if I have to count to three, I'll count to three. But we're going to celebrate with all these people because I think if heaven's celebrating right now, then we need to celebrate as a church. Amen. So come on, one, two, three. Lord, we just thank you so much. God, we are so thankful, so grateful. You are worthy. Holy are you. Glorify you, God. We lift your name up, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the C3CH podcast. We trust this week's message inspired and encouraged you. We hope to see you in one of our services soon. For more information on C3 Church Coffs Harbour, visit www.c3ch.com.